Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? The following is an actor portrayal. With Kindly Assisted Living and Memory Care at Asbury Methodist Village in Montgomery County, you can anticipate more. But don't take our word for it. My dad moved to Kindly and loved it. His apartment was spacious, sunny, and overlooked Parkland. It was a great comfort to me to see him always smiling and involved in the life at Kindly. Enjoy quality on-site nursing and rehab services, too. Visit Kindly at Asbury.org today. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. Welcome into episode 176 of the Toolshed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We're going to be breaking down our 2023 starting pitcher dynasty rankings today. Pitching landscape is always a lot of fun to talk about. So many elite names, breakouts, buy, sell, a lot of fun stuff. We'll get to that all today. And with me to break it all down, as usual, is my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, bud? Not much. I mean, we're finally wrapping up the prospect and dynasty rankings, which is crazy, yeah. but uh, made it all the way to pitcher, and uh, it's a good group. I was just looking, and you going down to the 50th pitcher in my rankings is actually like pretty high in my dynasty. So pitching's deeper than it's been in a while, and I think it's kind of evident yeah. in redraft and even dynasty. It, it feels pretty deep. Yeah, it absolutely does. Would you say, you know, obviously we love talking about any position, right? But would you say that this is your favorite position to talk about? If you had to pick one? Uh, I don't know. I'm more of a hitter guy, so I would lean that way. But I, I do like pitching still. So It is funny. I, w- I would say that's roughly the same. But, man, I've enjoyed pitching more and more over the years, right? Like I used to be, like when I started playing baseball, fantasy baseball, like when I was a teenager and it's like, oh, it's like hitting and like, oh, do I have to draft pitchers? I'm sure Nick Pollock, that would break his heart if he heard <laughs> that. But that, that was teenage me, Nick. Uh, but now nowadays it's like, yeah, I, I enjoy talking about pitchers so much. And there's so many fun names on this list. Like, like you mentioned, the 50th name on your list. Yeah, like, honestly, I have that person at 49. So, and that's a, you know, very, very talented young arm. So, yeah, this is a lot of fun. Very deep. I have 147 in my top 500. Do you know how many you, you had in your top 500, Chris? Top of your head? Uh, I don't, but it's probably looks like a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I was yes. just scrolling. I stopped counting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely a lot. So it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun today before we get into the episode. The usual housekeeping. 
You can follow us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clay. I am at Eric Cross 4 and our show is at Toolshed Pod. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Make sure to check out my Patreon for more work from me and Chris's subject for more work from him. We get a lot of great stuff on both of those platforms. You know, prospect rankings, dynasty rankings, FYPD rankings, a lot of other great written articles. So make sure you check both of those that we greatly appreciate your support. And before we get into the show, we want to say a quick word about our friends at Underdog Fantasy. If you sign up using the promo code Toolshed, you will receive a 100% deposit match up to $100. And that can be used for any of their fun fantasy games, including MLB Best Balls. You know, that's this is the time of year to really start jumping into those. Individual player pickums across all sports and so much more. Sign up today using the code Toolshed at play.underdogfantasy.com slash the letter P dash the dash Toolshed. All right, Chris, let's get into it here. As usual, let's start with our top 10 dynasty rankings for this pitcher position. Who are those guys for you, Chris? Well, it's Corbin Burns at one, followed by Sandy Alcantara, Aaron Nola, Brandon Woodruff, Shane McClanahan, Carlos Rodon, Garrett Cole. That's a fun debate. Spencer Strider and Dylan Cease. Plus, hold on, I didn't do 10 because I, I had Otani ranked one because that's how he came in the dynasty rankings, but... We're going to talk about him. We're pitcher only, so 10 would technically be Julio Urias. All right. For me, I got Burns at one, McClanahan two, Alcantara three, Cole four, Woody five, C six, which I don't know if I actually love that. I might move him down a bit here. Nola seven, Urias eight, Spencer Strider at nine, and Zach Gallon at 10, though. What's okay? Since you just you know, alluded to it, let's start with Shohei Otani because obviously valuing him comes down to you know your your league settings, the platform you play on, you know, a lot of different ways to value him. But for this, you know, this episode, we're going to talk about just pitcher only, whether you play on you know Yahoo or, or whatever, or just you want to know how to value him for trades or whatnot. For me, I have him right around you know 10, 11, 12. He's right in that Gallon, Bieber, you know, Manoa, uh, Rodone range for me. And I saw you, you just popped him in that, in that same spot, Chris. So that's, uh, I think that's pretty fair. I, I put that little note in my dynasty rankings uh, in, in the top part, like, hey, this is how I'd value hitter only, who I think I have him like, you know, between 15 and 20 overall. And then pitcher only, I have around like 40th overall, which puts him right in that 10, 11, 12 ranking for me at least. But it looks like you're kind of in that same line of thinking. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, with as with all dynasty rankings, I think the league matters. The specific, the specifics of the league matter there because Otani's valued differently in every league. You know, some leagues he's split up, hitter and pitcher. Some leagues he's it's weekly. Some leagues are daily. So it's different for every league. But if you get a dual Otani in a daily league, then, man, that's a clear-cut number one overall player, in my opinion. In a weekly league, I have Otani five when you think about him combined, but if we're yeah. talking about him split, I mean, I still have him in that range. I have him ranked uh, 13th among pitchers, which I think I could argue him even moving up one spot. I've got Max Fried in the 12 spot, so I could flip-flop in there and not be upset. What Otani does on the mound is absolutely elite. What Otani does in general is absolutely elite. So it's hard to you know argue against him at this point just looking at what he does. He's a, he's a unicorn of a player especially as a pitcher. And then we saw this year, I mean, he went out and just shoved on the mound. It's funny. The, I, I watched him. I was at a game when he pitched this year, and 
so dominant through six, and the Braves dropped a, a seven spot on them in that sixth inning. So obviously it was fun to watch him pitch, and then you know, fun for the Braves to really take off and win that game. So yeah, he's he's a, a lot of fun, dominant player on both ends of the board. Yeah, it, it's truly an awesome experience just to you know be able to be a baseball fan right now while Shohei Otani is doing what he's doing. Obviously, nobody alive listening to this podcast was able to watch Babe Ruth since he retired, uh, what, about 90, about 90, yeah, about 90-ish years ago and died about like 75 years ago. So this is the closest thing we will ever get. And probably you could make an argument that what Otani's doing now, because Ruth never really did it as... Not not to get on this tangent about non-fantasy stuff, but obviously Ruth did hit while he was pitching early on, but n- never liked it, never to this extent where he was, you know, being one of the best hitters and pitchers in the league at the exact same time. That's what Tony's doing. You look at you know, the improvements he's made just over year by year. You know, 20, 2020 was a lost year for him, obviously, especially on the pitching side of things. But look at he's dropped the walk rate from 10.4% in his rookie year of 2018. Uh, pitching wise, and obviously he had that long layoff because of the the injury. Then down to eight point three percent twenty twenty one, six point seven percent this year. All while increasing the K rate up to a career best thirty three point two percent. You know the xERA was two six eight to the surface ERA of two three three. He's got the six pitches. Really, the sink he only throws about four percent of the time. But slider is a very good pitch. He can splitter. Absolutely deadly splitter, 125 batting average against, 250 slug, 164 Woba, and a 48.8% whiff rate. Cutter, curveball, even the curveball, like his fifth best pitch, was a pretty damn good at 42% whiff rate on it as well. So, yeah, just looking at him strictly as a pitcher, it is definitely impressive what he what he's able to do. And you now he's 28, and I think he's proven that, you know, Obviously, there's going to be that elevated injury risk because he does more on the field, just as natural. But I, I don't think there's any reason to be really concerned about an injury uh, to the point where you shy away from kind of going after him or, or whatever, or drafting him or trading for him because he's a stud. You know, people look at, you know, obviously the hitting side gets a little more talked about because he's a little bit higher ranked there. But this is a this is a fantasy ace pitcher as well to being a, you know, borderline, you know, number one hitter on your fantasy team. So yeah, nothing in the profile for me. I'm like, all right, this guy's a stud. It looks like he's going to be a stud on the mound for a very long time. So it's, it's very fun to see. So I probably have him ranked too low, to be honest with you. Like I, I, I put him like, I think exactly uh, his exact spot is 12 in, in my rankings here. I could probably bump him to, you know, you could make a case for him as high as probably six or seven. Honestly, I, I think this is kind of a, a big tier. And I think he's definitely in that tier. And you could probably make a case for him up there because, you know, guys, like Nola or, you know, a few years older, Strider, obviously phenomenal, but has the one year less proven than Otani. Urias has, you know, some red flags in the, in the metrics a little bit, some regression might be coming, you know, and then Cease, you know, we talked about Cease a little bit as well. So I can make a case, even have him over Cease. And I got to relook at how I value him as pitcher only and probably move him up a little bit. But, Let's get into obviously. I think the listeners, when they heard your top ten here, probably you know the name that stuck out was Garrett Cole at seven, and I, I see where you're coming from there. I still have him four. I I thought about pumping him down to five behind Woody. I love Woody. 
And um, definitely, you know, all in on, on Woody having a, a, probably maybe the better year this year than even last year. But what were some of the reasons why you put Garrett Cole down at seven, even behind his teammate Carlos Rodon? Yeah, so that's a, a tough move to make. I mean, Cole has been as consistent as they come when we think about starting pitchers. I mean, the durability is there. The performance has been there. Cole will be will turn 33 during the season this year, which you know it's shown that it's irrelevant when we think about how high of a level that pitchers can go. Like, look at Verlander and Scherzer at 39, right. how they're pitching. So, you know, I say 33, and it's not that, you know, it shouldn't, take it as that big of a deal but and you look at what Garrett Cole's done the last two years I mean he's been good but he went from a in 2021 a 323 ERA to a 3.5 ERA this year and the FIP kind of backed that up the FIP this year was 3.47 and Sierra was good at 2.77 but when I look at, I mean, and he he did not run a high BABIP at all this year. He ran a 268 BABIP, which actually is a uh, pretty low. So it's not like he got BABIP to death or anything of that nature. With Cole, I just have worries about the home runs. You know, seeing the home run per nine kind of fluctuate throughout his career, but in 2020 was really high, 1.73 home runs per nine. This past season was 1.48 home runs per nine which is a bit concerning and Yankee stadium can play as a bit of a bandbox in some ways. And it hurts Cole. I think Cole's a really good pitcher. I think he's going to be good for the foreseeable future. And I think he's one of the safest bets to throw 200 innings of anybody. But I do think that when I look at the other names here, they're younger and they've been as good, if not better than Cole over the last two years even though Cole, I will say, has the longer track record. That's the only thing that is my holdup. But you look at these home run prone pitchers, and Cole's numbers are up there with like Herman Marquez, Jose Barrios, uh, Robbie Ray, Jose Arquiti, some of the worst in baseball. Like his home run per nine was the fifth worst among all qualified pitchers. So that's part of my concern is just one of the home runs. And yeah, I mean, Cole's probably the safest of safes when we think about this and the fact that you can get him, you can get 200 innings and a low three ZRA, like nobody comes safer than him. But I do have those concerns with him that calls me to kind of take a step back a bit and say, all right, he's still in the upper tier, but he's not the top of the top of the upper tier. Now, is he still in tier one for you? Where does tier one go to for you? I don't know. That's what I've toyed with. And realistically, I think, Right now, based on my rankings, it looks like Burns and Alcantara are their own tier. And then you have that next tier of guys that – let me just look at my ranking and tell you. Because I have Burns at 18, Alcantara at 20, and then it's a small step back. But I have Nola 26, Woodruff – I literally just made my own tier with rankings. So, it, like, they're all back-to-back. Nola, Woodruff, McClanahan, Rodon, Cole, Strider, and Cease are all in that tier. So, it stops after Cease. And I, I'm fine if you want to bump – Cole to the top of that tier. I have no issue with that, which would make him SP3. I don't have an issue with that at all because that's just a tier in itself, and they all offer different things within that tier, yep. but they are all could be equally as valuable. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely fair. Tier tier one for me is Burns, uh, Alcantara at three, and then I, I like McClanahan at two. I'm still all in on, on McClanahan. I'm not overly worried about you know the struggles he had in the second half, and yeah, there was, there was a, a stark drop-off the last two months or so, but 
Now, there was a little bit of injury playing in there. You know, he's at the most inning of his career. It might, you know, I do have a little bit of concern, but I'm not ready to bump him down too much. I see he's still in tier one for me. And then Alcantara is so damn consistent. He's kind of like the young, you know, Garrett Cole. And obviously he doesn't get quite the strikeouts that Cole does. And I'm not sure he ever will, but as long as he keeps putting up that volume and he's shown no issue to okay, I think he's not going to put up that volume. And he, he needs to be up there in tier one. And, then, and he was the one that won the poll I put out there from our toolshed account of who, you know, assuming Burns is one, who do you have as the you know, SP two for dynasty? And he won the poll with a little over 40% of the votes. And then it was McClenham was right after him. And then Cole uh, finished third in that. So that's how the, uh, the listeners or the, the Twitter public kind of go with it. But yeah, with, with Garrett Cole, you know, it, it's kind of funny how, Look at his barrel rates when he signed with the Yankees in 2020. You know, they jumped from being right around five, six, seven percent, then they've been over nine percent each of the last three years. Like, yeah, I have no issue with Cole. Like I, said, I might, I, I'll probably bump him down below Woodruff. I feel a little bit safer of a Woodruff, and he's a couple years younger than Cole. And it's funny that we're starting to talk about Cole being a little bit, you know, kind of old and using that old word. When I just looked at his date of birth, uh, he's a month and a half <laughs> younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> Cole, we were both born in 1990. Me, I was in late July of 90. He was in early September. So it's, I'm starting to get be a lot older than a lot of the players I talk about now, which feels weird. But anyway, uh, getting back on track here. Yeah, Cole, like the home, he led the most home runs in the American League last year, 33. And like you mentioned, Chris, that's always been an issue. There's nothing wrong with with what he is. You know, three three two to three five ERA is where he's been the last couple of years, and a lot of the metrics that up. Like I said. 347 this past year and the xera was 331 so yeah i think he's kind of in that range and that's good to keep him in that top five discussion but yeah i'm i'm fine dropping him down uh, a little bit lower there the other one that's kind of you know got a wide range of ranks here kind of when we're polarizing among the elite pitchers is dylan cease and you'll see i mean obviously if you just talk about entertainment value you could say that Cease is one of the most entertaining pitchers in the league. The stuff he has, obviously, you know, the, the velocity, the, the movement, how sharp and how crisp his rings are. He's one of the most fun pitchers to watch. You know, what's just to watch pitch in general as a, just a baseball fan. But last year, you know, the surface stats were very, very good. But there are some, you know, red. Not I won't say red flags, but areas of his profile that make me think that all right, you know. He's going to regress a bit in the you know ERA department here. He's not you know low to mid two ERA guy. We're in a super low BABIP, super high strand rate. So a lot of those things that tend to stabilize over time. It's hard to you know keep a low BABIP or keep a high strand rate stuff like that. So and it's funny. I thought I'd be lower than you on cease in our rankings, but you have them even a couple of spots lower. So I'm assuming you kind of share the, uh, the same skepticism that I have with him right now. Yeah. And it's, you know, you even think about the word skepticism and the fact that he's still uh, a top 10. Right. Yeah. He's still top 10. So. Sure. Yeah. So I guess I'm a skeptic that he repeats what he did last year. So, which there's no way. I mean, he just doesn't, he's not that type of pitcher that will repeat a two, two OERA. I think that we do see him come back to earth a bit. He did this walking 10.4% of batters last year, which was up from 2021. So Cease was impressive. I mean, there's no denying it, but 
I would expect something closer to a 3-3 ERA probably moving forward with good K rates and probably, you know, a little higher whip. I mean, the one 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 whip was a bit of an outlier as well this year for his career. And we even saw him tail off a bit in the second half. So those are a couple of my concerns that I do have with him. Actually, I think Lucas Giolito outpitched him in the second half or like from August on, if I'm not mistaken. He did. I'm, at, I'm actually, I'm pulling that up right now. Uh, I'm just going to sort it to the White Sox to make it a little easier here. Yeah, so from so this is the second half of last year. Cease had a let's see, slightly higher K minus walk rate, fifteen point one to twenty to uh, fourteen point three. But the it's funny the ERA was nearly three runs apart, two twenty seven to five fifteen. Um, but the FIP was nearly identical, uh, three sixty five for Cease, three seventy nine for Giolito. XFIP was actually 0.6 lower for Giolito, about 0.15 lower. So, yeah, you look at the you know underlying metrics, and, yeah, you, you could make a case that Giolito maybe not pitched as well, but it was a lot closer. And you look at the BABIP, 128 points apart. There's a 215 BABIP for Dylan Cease in the second half. That's just not sustainable. It was 87.4%. Like, those numbers are not sustainable those numbers will you know, kind of re- maybe not regress fully to them each of their means, but at least part of the way. So yeah, like I said, we still think Cease is good. You know, he's still a fantasy ace for you know redraft and dynasty. But I think it's uh, getting a little crazy to consider him like a top five arm when there's you know all these kind of metrics that we're talking about here. Yeah, I don't remember where I saw, but I swore I saw something that had them similar. I may it's been a tweet that I saw and it was just not right because I swore I saw something that. They were pretty similar, but but Cease was actually a really good in the second half. So I I misspoke there, and Giolito obviously you know had his moments, his ups and downs, but uh, you know Cease didn't tell off as much as I thought in the second half. And I don't remember why or where I saw that, but well maybe maybe it, maybe it was talking about like those, those metrics. Maybe it was talking about some of the, like the fit metrics or you know XERA Possibly. or something. Like that. A lot of those are, are lining up, but yeah, there was there was you know, so there was a little bit of you know Lady was kind of sitting next to Dylan Cease a little bit there. And, and as you know, anybody that's rostered Cease knows that he, even when he's he's at his good, you know, there's always that, those inconsistencies with him. So I just don't feel as safe about him. You know, I, I'm probably not gonna have many shares of him, just because there's always gonna be somebody in every league I'm in that likes him a good amount more than I do that'll value him as a top five arm. While I'm, you know, not that high in him, I'm probably gonna move him down more to like eight nine in my rankings. So yeah, I'm not. I don't think I'm gonna have many. Uh, Many shares of, of Dylan's because I'm, I feel a little bit safer about some of these other guys. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about Dil, uh, Dylan Cease. We just talked about him. Spencer Strider now. I have him at nine. You have him at eight. You know, we talked about him in the past. So we don't have to go super deep in here. But, you know, all looking at him and the metrics and just everything that goes around Spencer Strider, I think ranking him top 10 right now in the kind of midst of all these great talented arms that are all much more proven than he does. I think that speaks volumes to the fact that we, I think we both think that what he did, or maybe he's not going to be that good, you know, having a 38% K rate every year and a 267 ERA, but he's a guy that I think could have, you know, low three ERA, maybe even under two or excuse me, under three some years and maintain, you know, being one of the top strikeout arms in baseball. And 
if he throws that change up even more, you know, who knows? Maybe he could stay up at that range. But look at the similar pitchers on Savant uh, based on velocity to movement. This is a very impressive list. You got Luis Severino, you got Dylan Cease, Logan Gilbert, Tyler McGill, and Garrett Cole, all from 2022. So, yeah, the sky's the limit with Strider, especially with those that change up even more. I, I'm a fan, and Chris, you, you must be, even as a Braves fan, just ecstatic to have him on your roster. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, people talk about the fact that it's hard to excel as a two-pitch pitcher, and I don't necessarily disagree with that, but when you have a fastball that you throw that averaged 98-2 and you blow it by hitters at the top of the zone and your slider is as good as it is as well, I mean, we're talking a 52.2% whiff rate on it, then it's you can get away with two pitches. I'd love to see the changeup rate increase to 10% because his changeup is really, really good when he throws it. He just doesn't throw it that often. So if he can actually begin to use it more than it could really he could I mean he's going to sustain this but if we talk about what he the numbers he posted last year over a larger sample of innings let's just say he jumps to 160 this year and repeats what he did then man I mean the numbers are just going to be insane 202 strikeouts last year in 131 innings the the only other pitcher to throw under 150 innings and record 200 strikeouts. I've got the, I remember tweeting, I got to find it, but there's only one other pitcher that did I, it in a, less than 150 innings. I know, I know who it is. Was it, uh, gosh, uh, Sale. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so sale. sale did it in 147.1 innings. I just found it. He's the only pitcher in history to strike out 200 and allow less than 100 hits in a season. Nuts, man. Just absolutely nuts to yep. think about all this. So I think that he – this. I mean, yeah, maybe we get some regression, but it's not going to be significant. Even if you get a low threes ERA out of Spencer Strider and he throws 160 innings, and let's just bump the K rate back and say the projections have him about 33%. That's fair. That's still elite. I mean, yep. we're looking at an elite pitcher still. So, even with regression, I still think it's fair for him to slot in this, you know, upper half. I was going to say the exact same thing. Like, I don't care if you want to, for, you know, forecast some, you know, regression. I mean, that's that's fair, given he's young, given how good he was. If you bump back expectations a little bit, that's still a top ten arm. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to be, you know, and maybe he's not a guy that has a you know long career and he's still like doing this at, at Garrett's age because he's a little smaller and we haven't seen these smaller guys dominate for that long. But there's no reason to think that for the next, you know, at least half decade or so that this is not going to be one of the best in baseball. So, yeah, for dynasty purposes, he absolutely, I think, needs to be considered top 10. All right, we took a lot of time on our, on our top 10 here. Let, let's keep going uh, with the next 10 in our rankings, going 11 through 20. For me, that is Alec Manoa. Uh, we'll put Shohei Otani in here too. Then Jacob DeGrom, Carlos Rodon, Max Fried, Zach Wheeler, Christian Javier, George Kirby, Luis Castillo, and Kevin Gausman at 20. Chris, who you got? Uh, Jacob DeGrom at 11, Max Fried at 12, Otani the pitcher only at 13, which may be low. I literally, like I said, I just 
threw him in because he have him as both of my dynasty rankings. Manoa at 14 and Bieber at 15. Yeah, looking at it, I actually like Bieber more than Manoa, though, so probably going to flip that. I do, uh, I do too. Yeah, it, It's close. Like I, have, I have them back-to-back, but with Bieber ahead. But I, I think Bieber gives the, that extra bit of upside that Manoa just can't. And Manoa's really solid, mm-hmm. but I think Manoa can be kind of similar to Max Fried, just be one of those guys that you know, gives you good ratios, but you know the carrot never gets to the super elite level, so they get kind of over or uh, underrated a lot. I think that's kind of what he is. Yeah, uh, I think so too. But anyway, sixteen through twenty is uh, Zach Gallen, Kevin Gaussman, Luis Castillo, George Kirby, and Joe Musgrove. I love that we both have George Kirby in the top twenty. That just you know, Kirby. It, it's a curious case because. A lot of the metrics that we look at and say, oh, this guy's going to break out or this guy's going to rise up rankings and increase the key rate. A lot of those ranking or uh, metrics Kirby does not currently excel in. But just go, let me just, you know, let's take our metrics blinder here for a second and just watch Kirby on the mound. Like the dude is filthy and he has phenomenal pinpoint command. We're talking about like double plus command and control. Well, also throwing, what he averaged, 95-3 on the four-seater. And he used to be higher than that. I think he was about 96, 97 in the minors. But still, 95.3. And he's got two good breaking balls. Also kind of mixes in a sinker and a cutter. And a changeup as well, all of which he throws 8% of the time. And he has a legit six-pitch arsenal here. And not all of them are great offerings. That's to be expected. But look at some of the movement he gets on his pitches here. And just watch him pitch and what he's able to command and control his arsenal. You know, I see a lot of similarities to a young Aaron Nola here, someone that we both have top 10 and that someone that Chris has currently number three overall. And another guy that's been very underrated for a very long time uh, for fantasy purposes and in real life as well. So I think Kirby, like, I'm not overly worried. Like, oh, the swing and strike rate isn't elite. The the whiff rate's not elite. I mean, yeah, that'd be nice to see those numbers up, but just he passes the eye test. So, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on a rookie year where he still performed very, very well. He had a 339 ERA. XERA was right in line with that, 331, and also a 24.5% K rate and 4.1% walk, which was in the top 4% of baseball as a rookie. And that was over 25 starts, and he seemed to get better and better as the season went on. So I'm willing to give him so the benefit of the doubt to not have the sexy metrics I look for and just kind of look at what he is and that pinpoint command. So I think he's a, a guy that kind of with top 15 status year in year out going forward. Yeah. I think the biggest question is, will we see an uptick in the swing and miss and the strikeouts when we yeah. look at George Kirby, he didn't have a, he only had one pitch above a 25% whiff rate. And that surprisingly was the four seamer. It's, it's odd to me when the four seamer, is your biggest swing and miss pitch. Like watching him pitch, you would expect him to get more swing and misses. But I don't know. I'm I'm intrigued. I but the cool thing is there's a lot of room for growth, I'd say. I mean, we are talking about a 24-year-old with, you know, pinpoint command control with a well-rounded arsenal that has the potential to tick up. And that's the I think the cool thing is that he can really only go up from here. I think the floor is so high with Kirby that that really just gives him that value, but there's floor with upside with him. And we're talking about a rookie who just had a three, three, nine ERA 
across 25 starts and through 130 innings. So you can certainly probably expect him to improve a bit. And even if the whiff rates don't tick up too much, I still think that we'll take what we get, we got out of him and can, we'd be happy with that moving forward. So I do think the upside's pretty tremendous though, if we can get some more swings and misses. Yeah, and and I don't think there's going to be like a, a massive uptick. I don't think he's going to be up to like 30% or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying, but I can get 26, 27% being ab- above average K-rate guy. And like I said, that command, I think that, that helps him too, where, you know, people kind of always look to the to the whiff rates and the swing and, swing and strike rates, and obviously that's a big part of strikeouts, but command plays into it as well and getting the, some of those called strikes that he gets. Like if you go to his Savant page and look at the the you know heat map, on his pitches look at the four seamer that is what you want four seam command to look like it is picture perfect you know the dark red top of the zone it's very tight uh, overall range uh, of pitches there so you know great command the cutter he locates it you know down in the way same thing with lighter change up down and end all the you know, to righties curveball is probably the one that has the worst command even that's not terrible there so yeah, I, I just love the mix of pitches. He brings the, the elite floor. Like You won't find a, you know, a 24-year-old rookie with a higher floor that often uh, that George Kirby brings to the table. So, yeah, I'm very fine ranking him here as a top 20 arm with growth to maybe even you know flirt with top 10. Like I think long-term like he could be you know a tick better than Alec Manoa uh, even and get into that range as well, up to you know the Gowan and Manoa range you know, pushing top 10. So definitely love having uh, him here. Uh, in that range, you know, the next read we both have here at yeah, 15 and 12. Yeah, so he's just super undervalued as well. You know, Luis Castillo, let's, let's go to him for a second here. He's one that I feel like people, you know, even we both have him top 20, me at 19, you at 18. I've seen a lot of people that kind of scoff at that and think that he should be ranked even higher. And I, and I get it. Castillo's another one that is, you know, just pat the eye test. He's one of the you know most electric arms in the game. You know, runs that fastball up to you know mid to upper nineties. There, what he averaged on that last year? Yeah, ninety-seven one uh, with the four seamer, ninety-six nine on the sinker. Also has the slider and the changeup as well. But I think this is a fair range for where he is. Like you look at, he's a career three five nine ERA guy, and the K rate has always kind of been you know. Actually, it used to be 29, 30% a couple of years ago, but the last two years, 24%, 27%. So with it, you know, XERA in, you know, 3.3 three to 3.6 three, range, I think that's what he is. And I think this is a, a fair range for an arm like that. Yeah, I mean, he was obviously extremely good after he came over to Seattle last year. And I'm not surprised. I mean, you get an improved defense. Anything's improved from what Cincinnati had and obviously a better home ballpark as well. So those factors were pretty big for him. And we saw, you know, 317 ERA after the trade and 11 starts, uh, 291 FIP. I mean, I feel like he's always performed a bit better or his FIP's been a bit better than his ERA throughout his career. And actually, you have to go back to 2019 to find a season where his, you know, FIP was higher or yeah, higher than his ERA outside of this year. And I think the only thing that really changed that this year was the fact that he did move to Seattle. I think we will see Seattle make the most of Luis Castillo. I wish that 
Atlanta would have traded for him. Like he's he's a really good arm and he brings a lot to the table, but I'm not sure that he's elite or belongs in like the upper tier yeah. of arms that some people want to push him to. We are talking about a 30-year-old now. So again, I use age and it's you know, it's largely irrelevant with arms in some cases, but I do think there's instances where it matters. Something that's interesting to see with Castillo, though, is his launch angle. I mean, he's always been a pretty heavy ground ball pitcher, obviously with a sinker, but this year he ticked up the four-seam usage a bit, and he allowed a lot more fly balls, which I do think probably hurt him more in Cincinnati than it did in Seattle. I mean, the fly ball rate upped itself nine percentage points, which is significant, and his ground ball rate went from 56.6% last year to 46.9. So pretty substantial difference there, which is interesting to see. I think that if we see Castillo go back to the sinker more and get the ball on the ground, then he can see those numbers tick up even more. And I think the K rate can sustain even that. We've seen him be a high ground ball guy with a high K rate with the exception of 2021. But in general, I do like Castillo. His values are kind of all over the board, which I think is pretty interesting. So everyone kind of sees him differently, and that's good. Nothing wrong with that. Another thing I found interesting when digging into Castillo's profile a few weeks back was the changeup usage. Each of the last three years entering 2022, you know, he's had one of the, one of the better changeups in baseball uh, for for a long time now. It was above th- a little above 30 percent every year. This past year, it dropped down to. Let me get back to the the season here. It dropped down to 22.3 percent overall last year from 30.5 so you know about 8.3 percent dropping look at even month to month last year you look at in may 29.5 percent june 25 percent july 22.8 august 20.4 and then way down to 14.8 in september so that's really it used to be his most used pitch and now it's kind of morphing into his you know, most seldom used pitch. I kind of, I wonder what's behind that. I mean, the metrics on it in September weren't great, but that's really fluky and, and not a big sample size. But it does, I'm kind of curious as to why he, like, what's going on with, with the changeup. And even the metrics overall this season weren't the greatest, at least compared to years past. So that's another thing I'm kind of interested to see what happened there with uh, with that changeup for Luis Castillo. Yeah, I have no idea. Um could be a grip thing. Could be you know they've changed the balls back and forth. So yeah, yeah, maybe that could be it. All the all the baseball changing that MLB loves to do every year, which is annoying. And I'm sure it's yeah. annoying. You know, we get annoyed by it sitting here in our you know in our office at, at home. And I'm sure pitchers are like have had enough of that, especially guys that rely on feel so much with those chain with those uh change ups and breaking balls. So yeah, I'm sure that's uh, pretty annoying here. All right, that wraps up our top twenties here to recap. Chris has Burns, Alcantara, Nola, Woody, McClanahan, Rodone, Cole, Strider, Cease, Urias, 10, DeGrom, Freed, Otani, Manoa, Bieber, Gallen, Gaussman, Luis Castillo, Kirby, and Musgrove at 20. I have Burns, McClanahan, Alcantara, Cole, Woody, Cease, Nola, Urias, Strider, Gallen, Otani, Bieber, Manoa, DeGrom, Rodone, Freed, Wheeler, Javier Kirby Castillo Ingsman is my top 20. We'll take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back. Hey. 
Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? All right, welcome back from the break. Let's get into the 21 through 30 section of our rankings. Chris, take it away. All right, so starting at 21, I've got Zach Wheeler, followed by Tyler Glass now, Christian Javier, Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green, Fran Valdez, Blake Snell, Nestor Cortez, Luis Severino, and our first prospect, Andrew Painter, coming in at 30. Gotta love it. Starting to get into the uh, prospect range here. Same for me. I have one prospect in here. For me, 21 to 30 is Joe Musgrove, Freddie Peralta, Walker Bueller, Framber Valdez, Tyler Glasnow, Nestor Cortez, Grayson Rodriguez, uh, Luis Severino, Tristan McKenzie, and Kyle Wright here. Running out my 30. You know, Glasnow is obviously one of the more polarizing names in baseball. You look at, you know, obviously on the redraft side, he's going, was like in the 80s somewhere. How much confidence do you have in him? Like, is he a guy that obviously we both have to rank inside our top 30? But, you know, let's say you were looking to get a pitcher, you're a contending team, Chris, and Dynasty Ladies, you're looking to go and you know, maybe add an arm or two this, you know, this offseason before, before the season starts, and someone comes up to you and in your league is, hey, I got glass now. Would you have any interest? Is that is that an avenue you'd like to go down, or obviously given the elite talent that he has, or is he one where yeah we have him ranked high, but you don't really have much interest in kind of uh, looking at him in dynasty leagues right now? Yeah, it's a uh, a weird spot I think there. So I don't know what I would do in that case. Just looking at it, like even though I have him ranked this way, it's still kind of like in the back of my head, like you look at some of these other names, you're like, okay, like in, in two or three years, like who would be higher? And I think we have to think about that too. And I think Glassnell could really move up. I mean, there's some names back here in this range that could really move up. So it would, it would be one of those things where you think about long and hard, but also looking at it's kind of a tier again, where a lot of these arms are the same tier. So you may end up going with the younger one in that case. Yeah. And, if I was just ranking on talent alone and didn't care about durability or injury risk or, you know, past innings pitch totals or something, all that stuff, there's no doubt in my mind glass. Now would be top 10, zero doubt in my mind. Like, yeah. I, I raised some concerns in the past, you know, mainly you know, outside of durability let's throw that to the side because I was one of the three, but it was the lack of a third pitch and uh, the walk rate. And he kind of, heard both of those he was 11 12 13 14 percent first few years and in the last four years 6.1 9.2 7.9 7.7 all while even increasing his strikeout rate it's been over 33 percent each of the last four years and most recently in 2021 he added that slider in which was it's really really good offering like right off the bat it's like almost unfair in a 197 batting average against 
277 Woba and a 46.3% whiff rate. And he even used that over two times more than the curveball, which was kind of odd. And in a very limited sample size last year, only a couple outings, that kind of continued. It was 28% slider, 18% curveball. So showing that that confidence in the slider to be as good as it is, in addition to his elite curveball, which is, you know, you can make a case. Curveball is the best curveball in baseball. Look at the last full year or last, you know, bigger sample size year for him in 2021. That curveball had a 0.85 batting average against 122 slug, 56.1% whiff. And he only threw it 21 times in 2022, but had a 75% whiff. It's crazy how good that pitch is. So the fact that he added that slider in and has shown better strike throwing ability, lowering that walk rate. Yeah, so top 10. He's a top 10 talent, no doubt. He's still only 29 years old. You know, got, got a lot of, on a good team, got a lot of all the good things going for him. I just need him to show me that he can stay on the field because his, you know, his career high is still, what is it, the 111, yeah, 111.2 back in 2018 when he, that was the year he got traded in that infamous trade from Pittsburgh to Tampa. And he was a reliever for about three quarters of those outings. Only had 11 starts that year and 34 relief appearances. So I think to see that he can actually, be in the field for just give me 120 plus like get into that 130 ish range and then we'll start talking about moving him higher but until then i just can't do it i love the i love the arm talents there but i just need him to show me that he can stay on the field and he just has not done that ever really so can't rank him higher right now yeah i think that's a fair point and uh there's certainly some in this range that i think could bump up but uh it's you know they've got to show more so yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I don't have these two in my rankings in this part. I have them very close after. So let's go ahead and talk about them now. Is you have them back to back, two Cincinnati Reds, Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green. Man, obviously they're very different arms. You know, uh, obviously one's a lefty, one's a righty to start off the bat there. But Green, big, big power stuff. Lodolo. You know more of I won't say deceptive. That's kind of fair because he's got really good stuff as well. But he's doesn't he's not thought of as like that big power arm like Hunter Green is. So obviously you have him back to back in your rankings, so this might be hard to ask. But let's get get the old crystal ball here for a second and, and fast forward. Like let's say let's go five years in the future. So these guys are both like in their late twenties at this point. Who do you think is going to be the, that better pitcher at that point? Like who's the one you'd rather you know invest more heavily in in dynasty leagues right now? Honestly, I think I'm leaning Lodolo. Just because there's a little bit more safety with the floor here. And yeah, I mean, he did have a 8.8% walk rate, which is not really who we've seen in the past. Like Lodolo's a, a pretty solid command guy. And so even though we saw, I won't even say that's a high walk rate in, in today's standard, but I think it has the ability to even trend downward a bit because we've seen him have times where he's closer to 5%. And he's got a small track record in, you know, the minor leagues. So missing, he was drafted in 2019, missed 2020 season with COVID, all that stuff. So I think that Lodolo is going to bounce back in a big way. Not even bounce back. We're talking about a rookie that had a 3.66 ERA, but a 3.29 Sierra is pretty impressive. He struck out 30% of the hitters that he faced, an 8.8% walk rate. I think trends downward, and he's got the stuff to really you know, move up. He's an interesting profile. Like, I don't know. Like, the the issue with both these guys is they pitch in Great American Ballpark, and to me, like that, 
has its own issues in itself. That's his, it's where he's going to pitch half of his games because that's a home run prone park. But at least with Lodolo, we've seen the ability to limit those home runs in the past. And so even if that plays up a bit, then we still have you know that floor to lean back on. Hunter Green was elite down the stretch. Like he did some really good things down the stretch of the season. I just need to see that over a sustained time with him. But for right now, I'm leaning Lodolo, but it's pretty close. Obviously, it's had him ranked back to back. Yeah. So looking at my rankings here, I have them. Where did I put them? I have Lodolo. 32 and green 35 in my rankings. So that is, you know, and that's something I've had them back and forth a lot. And I, I think they'd be very close, but yet that the home run and ground ball difference between the two of them is pretty stark. You look at Lodolo 45, 6% ground ball rate and a launch angle of 11.9 degrees. Hunter Green, right of only 30.7%, launch angle 20.7 degrees. That is not a recipe for success at Great American Ballpark. So I think as best, Green have much better stretches. But I think if you're looking for consistency and a higher floor, I would go Nick Lodolo here as well. But again, it's close. I think both are very good arms. Can be, you know, never guys you're going to have as your SP1, but Maybe they can get up in the SP two discussion, or at least be you know very good SP threes with that upside for more. So I just I would love if they played in like their ballpark, like put them on Kaufman or you know down in Miami or hell, even Oakland. Even though I don't want that offense around them, but yeah, this is not a great uh, spot for either of them. But hey, maybe Ladol can make it work with the ground ball rate. We'll see. But yeah, Green's the one I'm a little more worried about just having that high uh, fly ball rate in that ballpark. All right. Uh, let's see any other names here. Let's let's go. Let's keep this right. This range here from twenty-one to thirty. You had one name with the highest percent chance. I'm not. It's not to say that this person will do it, but the highest percent chance to jump up. Let's say into the top ten to twelve range. Who would that be for you? Uh, just in this these ten. Yeah, just just in this twenty-one to thirty range. Anybody stand out? That's like, oh, maybe this guy is a higher. <laughs> chance to kind of get up in that range oh obviously painter but uh we've talked about him a lot in the prospect episode so i i think glass now probably does and you know somebody asked a question it was like would they would you trade strider for glass now and altuve and i told him like i think it's a good deal because it wouldn't surprise me at all if glass now is on par with strider next year and you have yeah. altuve as well so i, I like glass now to make the jump uh, I think that Lodolo could really bump up as well to be like a max freed like range. I'm freed at 12, so he could really jump up to that range. And if Snell could throw the innings, I think Snell has the upside as well, but we just need him to actually stay on the mound. Yeah, and I, I put a tweet about Snell uh, maybe a week and a half ago about kind of some of the, the changes he made in the second half, and he really took off. But we've seen that before, right? We've seen him go on these super dominant stretches, and, you know, we all buy back in, like, oh, look, Blake Snell's back. And then he, is, then he comes up and has a, you know, four or five ERA right to the first two and a half months of the season. So even though I, I do have more confidence than I had in the past guarding Blake Snell, I'm still a little hesitant to go, like, super high uh, with, with him in my rankings, especially just given all the really good names 
in this range here. The, the last, I'll give my answer here. Uh, you know, G-Rod is one for me. I'm so incredibly high on Grayson Rodriguez here. And, you know, another one that I think could, who's the one that's really hard to rank right now, and even in our rankings, he's 20 spots apart, which is totally, you know, fine because he's, just, like I said, hard one to rank given the last couple of years with him. It's Freddie Peralta. I think he's got, he's shown, like, he was a borderline top 10 pitcher already. Like, he's shown he can get to that level. And I don't think that was necessarily a fluke. He's got, you know, four really good pitches. Uh, he was one of, I think it was one of six arms to have a whiff rate above 30% on, I think, on three different pitches last year. Uh, all the makings are there. He has to, you know, stay on the mound, keep the walk rate in check. And so I, I can see him being rankings here, or he could bump down. He's one of those guys that has a pretty wide range of outcomes here um, moving forward. The last name I wanted to mention here, though, Chris, a lot has been made and discussed this offseason about, obviously, the, the shift bands and how it affects hitters. And then that makes sense because obviously, you know, you shift for a hitter and, you know, has a bad ball profile. But I got to wonder, like, what pitchers could be affected a little bit more by this, right? And obviously, again, it plays into who, who the opposing batters are. But you kind of look into some guys that might have, you know, maybe I'm way off on this. I want to see what your thoughts are about what kind of you look at to see w- what type of pitcher might be affected. I'm kind of thinking guys that get obviously a lot of balls on the ground or line drives that are kind of pulled. Oh, you know, to that pull side there. So I wonder if Framber gets hurt a little bit by this. And again, maybe I'm way off in this line of thinking. It's still kind of like an early thought process for me. But I was just kind of thinking, like, we make it, we talked a lot about the hitters that get affected by that, but not really a, a lot of talk about the pitchers that could be affected by it. So I kind of wonder is, do you think Framber is one that could be, you know, hurt a little bit by this? I think naturally we look in the, the ground ball pitchers are going to be affected. Also, I think teams with poor second basemen that have poor range could be affected too. Yep, that's a good point. It's going to be so much more significant like to play to that level. And I've run some data on it, and you know, it, interestingly enough, like George Kirby comes up as you know one of the most the highest differentials between shifted and unshifted Babbitt. And I'm not really, really sure what to do with this data. Kirby had the shift behind him 40 percent of the time. His BABIP with the shift was 257, and his unshifted BABIP was 377. And now that could just be some some fluky data. And again, like I don't know what to do with this. Like as I've looked at this, I really haven't done a lot with it. They're just like literally just ran the data because I just have no clue how to really like how will it affect pitchers. I don't know. Right. So I still think the question is, is like we don't know. But I do think heavy ground ball guys are have the potential to be more effective. So the interesting thing is I, with Framber though, like as a lefty, it may not affect him as much. Like we don't often see like right-handers shifted on as much. So I'm just gonna look how much how often Framber had to shift behind him. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask if you, if you had that data as well. Yeah, I've got all the pictures. I had it filtered, so let me unfilter the sheet. And uh, Framber had the shift behind him 23% of the time. His shifted BABIP was 259. His unshifted was 293. So there's a little difference there. Not, but not, not a huge one, though. No, I mean, we're talking about, like, I mean, every pitcher had a pretty – most pitchers had a, a pretty solid differential between – Right. Shifted and unshifted to a certain point. So, like, those things are worth noting. But 
I'm not sure that, again, I wish I had a good idea, but I think it's one of those things that we don't really know until it happens. But I do feel confident saying probably hitter or pitchers that give up a lot of line drives and fly ball, not fly balls, line drives and ground balls could be more effective, especially when we think about, you know, lefties and left-handed hitters hitting to the pool side. Like if the second baseman doesn't have as much range, then they could definitely find some more hits. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my line of thinking too. That's something that I might want to dig into more and, you know, maybe collaborate with some smart pitching minds like the Nick Pollocks, the Alex Fast, maybe pick Eno's brain, uh, you know, Alex Chamberlain, those types just to see like what, what their thoughts are. I think it's an interesting conversation to have and really something that'd be fun to uh, dive into to see if there, if there will be a uh, big impact or not really much at all. But speaking of Framber, though, you know, I've, I was always, you know, a little bit lower than most on Framber, but I've really come around on him. Obviously, the curveball, one, one of the better curveballs in baseball. You know, each of the last two years, you know, ex, you know, batting average against under 150 with freight right in that 45% range. One thing that I that he did this past year that I really liked, he had the cutter uh, in that he used, you know, mostly against lefties, but used against righties some as well. And he threw it about 10% of the time, so that was his third most used offering behind the sinker and the curveball, 83 miles an hour so kind of more on that slider range of, you know, velocity wise, not like, you know, a 92 mile hour cutter that you see a lot of times these days, but it recorded a 118 batting average against 200 slug, 155 Woba and a 35.4% whiff rate. So I think that was very encouraging to see him kind of add that in to the mix. Cause I think, I think he really needed that. I think this was a, a very good addition to his arsenal here. And, and uh, the K rate took up a little bit, at least compared to 2021, Went up about a, a percentage and a half on the K rate, while the walk rate dipped another two uh, percent down to eight point one percent, and XERA three thirty one, surface ERA two eight eighty two. So yeah, I, I'm on board with him being in this like twenty five to thirty range for sure. And maybe that's even a little too low. But it, I, I want to see how the shift affects him. But if he, he throws another year like he did this year, and he's still only well, he is twenty nine years old. But you know that's not too old because like, I can't be calling people old when they're almost my age at this point. But yeah, I think Framber is kind of where he is. He's kind of like a slightly lesser version, uh, performance-wise, of like a, a Max Freed. So I, I think this is a, a fair range for him in, in our rankings. All right, I'll just you gonna say something, Chris? No, no, you're good. Go ahead. Okay, sorry. I thought I thought I heard you with the talk <laughs> there. All right, let's uh, keep going here. Was we're already pushing the hour mark. Let's go. Uh, let's round up the top fifty here in our rankings, thirty-one through fifty. Uh, for me, that is a go over to back over to that tab here. For me, that is Dustin May, Nick Lodolo, Logan Webb, Jesus Lazardo, which I think I might flip flop that. I got Lazardo a little bit more than Webb. And then Hunter Green, Max Scherzer, who I don't know where I want to rank Max Scherzer. It's, it's, it comes down to like, all right, are you contending or are you not contending? Because if you're not contending, you don't want the 39 year old pitcher. Same with Justin Verlander. Those are hard guys to rank, still elite, but really old. And I can say that because they're almost 40. And I see Verlander is 40. So I can say that they're old. I'm not, I'm not 40 yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Scherzer, 36. Robbie Ray, 37. Tony Gonson, 38. 39 and 40. Logan Gilbert, Blake Snell. 41 through 50. I got Lucas Giolito, Hunter Brown, Pablo Lopez, Andrew Painter, Shane Boz, Clayton Kershaw, Lance Lynn, Chris Sale, Ricky Tideman, and Luis Garcia. Chris, who is 31 through 50 for you? All right, so I've got G-Rod at 31, back-to-back with Andrew Painter. Flip a coin on them. I don't know. They're both elite. Then followed by Tristan McKenzie, Kyle Wright, Walker Bueller, Logan Gilbert at 35, 
36 through 40 is Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, Logan Webb, Lucas Giolito, and Robbie Ray. 41 through 45 is Jesus Lazardo, Freddie Peralta, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Yu Darvish. And then 46 through 50 is Clayton Kershaw, Hunter Brown, Shane Boz, Yuri Perez, Ricky Tiedemann, and Kodai Senga. And I had Yuri Perez at 54, so he's just outside this range, as is Daniel Espino as well. So the, the two names here that kind of stick out to me, both super talented, but you know, missing, you know, if not all the year, most of it. We got Walker Bueller, who you have at 34. I have at, at 23, which I admit is probably too high. I got to really look into that ranking for him again. And then Shane Boz, who you have at 48. I had at 45. So obviously right now, straight up, you know, no cost attached. We t- obviously both take Walker Bueller. But given the, you know, what we believe the cost to be to acquire each of these guys, is there one that sticks out more than the other for you as a guy that is a, a better buy low right now? Or, or are they both great buy lows in your mind? Yeah, I think they both are to an extent. I'm certainly trying to buy. I think Shane Boss' value is so depressed at this point. So I'm really trying to get on and get as much as I can of him right now before he really takes off. And, you know, as I was doing my dynasty rankings, I made that, t- I don't know if you called it when I was reading the rankings, but I made kind of an old guy's tier with Verlander, Scherzer, Darvish and, and Kershaw. I did who, see that. Yeah. <laughs> they're all like literally all back to back in my overall dynasty rankings, just like their own kind of tier. And I thought, all right, so obviously they provide a lot of value to a win-now team. Like, will they be around in 2024? You know, we don't know. I mean, I know they're, you know, Scherzer and Verlander, their deals run beyond that, but will they still be pitching then? We'll see. Verlander's 40, so it's it's interesting. But to if I was trading, if I wanted to get younger, like what kind of pitcher will I target? And I came up with Boz and and Hunter Brown. So – I was like, these are kind of a reasonable spot. And I thought, well, maybe in, on the flip side, on the upper part of that tier, it's like Lazardo and Freddie Peralta. Like, those would also be good options to trade for. So I, I kind of made this a tier in its own of like old guys plus some young guys that you could trade these old guys for in the right context. And understanding that everyone is going to value these quote, you know, old guys differently depending on where you are in Dynasty. So. All that to go back to say that I do think uh, Shane Boss is a really good target. Yeah, I still am very high on Boss, and you know, obviously he had to drop down rankings because of you know the lack of experience and the risk that you know he already was a little bit riskier than than most, and now the added risk with, with the injury and the fact that he's not going to pitch this year, so we won't see him until twenty twenty four. But it, there's a good chance his price will never be lower. Than is right now, and I'm still very much a believer in the arm talent. Like I said, I was able to interview him back in the very beginning of the pandemic, which was three years ago now, which is just crazy to think about. But he, and obviously at that point, he was, this was the year he didn't break out in the minor leagues fully until 2021. So everything he said he was going to do, he did. Like, you know, the improving the command, strike throwing ability, lowered the walk rate considerably while still having the really, really nasty stuff. You get the, the two breakers, the slider and the curve change up and the four seamer as we look at the velocity, 86 miles an hour uh, last year, 97 miles an hour in 2021, both breaking balls at a whiff rate above 40%. And that's kind of been the norm for him for a while. Like 
one of these similar pitchers to Shane Boz based on velocity and movement last year. Uh, two of them was a very interesting group of five, but two of the five names, Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be those guys, but he's got some of the best all-around stuff in baseball right now. So I'm still definitely as in on him as ever. And you look at some of the, the batted ball profiles, Gallen, you know, Savali, you know, some pretty good pitches there as well. Especially obviously Zach Gallen being the big name, but definitely all in on, on Boz still. So I'm trying to get him anywhere I can right now in dynasty leagues. Cause again, I think the price will never be lower. And same thing with, with Bueller, obviously, you know, even before the injury, there was some, you know, so some of the metrics, ERA metrics that people were like, oh, he's got to regress a bit. But even with some regression, it may be Ace Bueller's done. Maybe he's more SP2 Bueller moving forward. But this, I don't think his production is going to fall off a cliff. Like he's still a very, very good arm, got a very diverse arsenal. So I'm buying low on him too, because I think he can get back to, you know, being an annual top 20 arm. And that's, you know, I wouldn't even rule out getting back up into that, you know, top 10 ish range. So I think he's going to be top five again. No, I don't think that's coming back. But if he can get back into like that Zach Gallen, Dylan Cease range, I think that's definitely attainable for a guy like Walker Buell with the arm talent that he has. Uh, so, yeah, definitely both uh, really good buy lows right now in Dynasty Leagues. But, Chris, one thing I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, though, like, because we're not going to do a relief pitcher Dynasty rankings episode, but I figured we'd just throw in a little bit of talk here to, you know, close out the episode. Very fitting. You know, where do you have, you know, look at some of the top names for you know, for relievers here. Where do you have them first off in your rankings? And second off, like, how do you go about, how, what's your personal evaluation of, you know, valuing these guys in Dynasty Leagues? Is it, is it more like, you know, obviously they have a lot more value to a contender than to someone that's rebuilding, but what's just, what's your general thought process about relievers in Dynasty Leagues? Well, majority of Dynasty Leagues that I play in are saves holds. The Highlander Dynasty is a save only, so it's a little different there because saves really matter, especially in the tween team. So if you just have like one elite closer, then you're doing pretty well. But the majority of what I play is a saves holds format. So in saves holds, like I typically don't draft the elite closers. So as I'm doing my rankings, I try to kind of put the guys in, in buckets, I guess. So like how much value does you know Edwin Diaz provide for a safe holy? He's still, I would argue he's still the best reliever even in that format. But he's so I put him in that tier. So the top tier is pretty much all closers, which is interesting, but I don't tend to invest in those guys because there are also elite like holds guys, like an AJ Mentor for reference. Like AJ Mentor provides like elite ratios, good strikeouts and plenty of holds holds are a bit more volatile is the only thing. So I, you know, I, I tier or I do my dynasty range by just pitchers. I don't, you know, split them up starting in reliever. So I have them on this list actually. And they almost pushed in. I have Diaz at 56. So I had five more starting pitchers before I had my first reliever. And I have that top tier of, you know, safe hold arms as Edwin Diaz, Emmanuel Classe. Josh Hader, Jordan Romano, Devin Williams, and Ryan Helsley. Now, Helsley and Williams could fit there even if they do get holds and aren't the full-time closer, which is another cool aspect when we kind of look at this. But when we look at the value, I think it largely depends on what kind of format you play. And I tend to 
not want to go after these top guys. I always see people ask, like, should I trade these top prospects for for Diaz, we'll just say, in a safe hold? And I would always say no. Like, I'm very against doing something like that. When I know that you can go and you can pick up somebody on the wire that gets plenty of holds, that has good ratios that you may not even realize is out there. AJ Mentor had 34 holds last year. He had a 206 ERA in 70 innings with 94 Ks. Like, like legit, like realistically, that puts him in this upper tier, this first tier of guys. But holds are just volatile, which is why I can't do that. I mean, right. take take Kendall Grayman for reference, and also Mentor had five saves. So that's 39 save holds. Yeah. And Kendall Graveman, 27 holds, six saves, um, elite ratios, a lot of strikeouts. Like. It's, you can you can work the wire and pick up a, a mentor. I mean, Brad Boxberger had 30 saves and holds last year with a 2.95 ERA. I mean, like that's valuable, and I guarantee you nobody rostered Brad Boxberger. So if you are savvy enough on the waiver wire, then you can not roster these high end. Also, on the flip side, if you currently have a high end reliever in a saves hold league know that you can trade them and get it something really valuable. And there's probably something similar out there like an AJ mentor. I mean, so if you were to, so in a saves hold leagues, if you were to offer Edwin Diaz to a team that had AJ mentor, you could probably get mentor plus and a really good bat for Diaz. And I would do that because just looking at the value that they provide. So in a vacuum, like it's very dependent on league types. Very dependent on how many teams are in your league because you know the more teams, the the less the smaller the threshold is for the amount of saves you need to compete. So, like in the Highlander, it's a twenty team, and you know I have Jordan Romano on my roster, which is great. And I've kind of cy- I cycled through some other um, saves guys last year, and if I r- recall right, I finished pretty well in the saves category. I'm actually going to pull it up and look, and I only had one really elite reliever, and I just cycled and played the wire for other guys. I'm pulling it up real quick because I do want to confirm. I finished second in saves in a 20-team league, Dynasty, and I had a total of 88 saves. And this roster had Romano on it, and I cycled through, like I said, cycled through other relievers, which you know I got 36 saves out of Jordan Romano. I, I had Rafael Montero who ended up getting 14 saves, which is pretty crazy. I had Garrett Whitlock and Andrew Kittredge who got saves. I had somebody else, I'm pretty sure, but I think I traded him away at the deadline. Don't feel like going back. I'm just rambling at this point. All I have to say, know your league settings and know how the numbers work and then calculate it based on that because AJ Minter, super valuable and probably people didn't even realize it. No, absolutely, yeah, and that, like I said, it does definitely come down to your league format for sure. In general, though, I do like trying to find those those next guys. Like this time last year, I was trying to go and get like the Yoan Duran, Andres Munoz, get those types that are obviously people know about them and they're buzzy names, but they haven't ascended to the elite status yet. I try to get those next big things. I hate paying up, whether it be in a draft or via trade for relievers, because usually people try to, you know, ask for a pretty penny for them because, you know, these guys are hard to find sometimes, but especially in saves only leagues, but yeah, try to, I never like to pay up. That's the one thing I'll, I'll add to that because I, I echo a lot of what you said in general. All right, let's close out the show real quick here 
with one name each that we didn't mention in our top 50 that we just really think is are gonna you know fly up rankings this year I'll, I'll go first here i tweeted about him the other day a couple of times for me that's edward cabrera from the miami marlins and you look at last year he was one of eight starting pitchers with three 30 plus percent whiff rate offerings with one of only three pitchers with four offerings with a sub 200 batting average against you know obviously uh with qualifying i think i forget what i said the batted ball events at or plate appearances. I think it was 50 or something like that, but also at a 47.1% ground ball rate overall 301 ERA 107 whip and a 25.8% K rate walk rate is a bit high 11.3% last year, which is, you know, down from 15.8 in this rookie year, but that is still an issue that needs to be worked on. But you look at how good, like how good the stuff is here. Like I said, change up curveball four seam and slider are those four offerings with the sub 200 batting average against highest one was actually 182 is four seamer and three of those had a slug under 300 the only one that was above was his four seamer he got a little home run happy with that so the slug was a bit higher than it probably should hit, should be there curveball change up slider all had whiff rates above 30 percent leading the way was that slider at 42.5 percent you mentioned gets you know can get ground balls as well I think if he's able to get that walk rate even down to like the nine ten percent range, you know, I'll say it right now. <clears throat> there's a I, I won't bet money on it, but there's a slight chance I could see Ever Cabrera outperforming like a Dylan Cease or getting damn close to Dylan Cease this year. Like I think he's that good. He's a guy that could ascend to like top twenty status if those things can happen with the walk rate and he can stay on the mound and get up, you know, maybe double his innings, get up to 130, 140 innings. I think the K rate takes up a, a bit as well. So I am uh, definitely all in on Edward Cabrera this year. Uh, who, who is your pick, Chris? Oh, with Hale, Jesus Lazardo, love it. His, his teammate. Um, Lazardo is only twenty five, and he was the top pitching prospect in baseball at one point. And people seem to forget that very quickly. And I think some people also missed how good he was last year in eighteen starts, a three three two ERA, a one hundred four WHIP in hundred innings with one hundred twenty Ks. And I think there's room for more. Look at the change that he made last year. He threw his curveball the most of any pitch, and I think there's an argument that that's his best pitch. He also has a changeup that's high end as well. So there's those arguments that are to be made. I mean, the the curve and the changeup both had whiff rates over 40%, 41.3 for the curve, 44.9 for the changeup, both really elite pitches. The four seems a good pitch as well. It doesn't say that by its 15% whiff rate, but there's good characteristics with it, and he only allowed a 207 batting average against with that pitch. So, that being said, I think Lazardo's in for a big season. I think we see 150 innings out of Lazardo, and 150 really good innings at that. And I think that easily boosts him up to being a top-flight arm. And I don't think he's being valued as such. I mean, the projections are very conservative on him. I mean, like all hovering around 25 or lower percent K rate, 24, 25% range. And you know, most of them are three, eight to four, two range on ERA. And I'll take the over on the K rate on that all day long. I'll take the under on the ERA all day long and daggum. I'll take the under on the bats one, three, five whip projection. Like that's an easy under smash. So Lazardo is a pretty easy buy for me this year. I'm about to go out and start trying to trade for him in Dynasty Leagues right now, to be honest, because I think that he's really going to soar, and I think you should do the same. 
the Marlins, you know, they do great things with with arms. I think Cabrera's going to get a spot because I think they're going to make a trade. I could see them trading a Pablo Lopez for a bat, and that opens up the spot, and there's some spots for these guys to flourish. Look at that. Two Miami Marlin arms to end the show. Good, good way to close it out right there. That is going to wrap us up. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. I know Chris and I sure did. Always a fun time talking about pitchers. And that will wrap up our Dynasty and Prospect rankings in a you know, month or a month and a half or so. I think we started in sometime in early December. I can't remember. But it's been, it's been a fun time of year. This is always a really fun time for Chris and I to dive into our rankings and positionally and really dissect them and, and discuss them. So we always enjoy doing this and hope you all enjoyed it as well. And join us again next time for more Dynasty and Prospect talk. But until then, everyone take care. <laughs> <laughs>